Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Welcome, Recovery House of Worship, Brooklyn. Amen? Amen. It's the first Sunday of the month, and it happens to be the first Sunday of the year. I'm excited, excited, excited. Amen. I'm glad 2014 is over, though. Amen? Amen? It was a pretty rough year for me, and I'm just grateful that uh, you could turn the page on that. And the beauty of it is that uh, in the midst of everything, God has been faithful. Amen. And, and that is always true of God. Amen. Um, before I dive into today's sermon, I, I want to talk a little bit about relational uh, responsibility. And when I mean about that, I mean about this relationship, the relationship between me and you. Okay. And when I mean me, I mean whoever stands in front of you. It's important for us to realize that when we come before you, we want to lift up the name of Jesus. We want to make sure that the gospel goes forth. Amen. We want to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We want to be clear. We want to be accurate. And we want to be relevant. Clear, I don't want to stumble on the words. I don't want to read it like the first time I've ever read it, right? And I want to be accurate to the text, that the author of that text says what I'm saying is, needs to be said. And then relevant, that you're able to say, Pastor, how can I use this when I leave here? And that's what we want to be able to do. The other part is your responsibility. Your responsibility is to listen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. When I first started coming to church 20-something years ago, I sat in the back and couldn't wait to get out of here. I fought with everything that was said. I, I like everything that was said, every idea, every thought, every suggestion that was came, I, I just fought it and I couldn't wait to leave. But after a while, I stopped wrestling with it. I said, you know what, let me just listen. And something began to happen. As I began to listen, my heart began to change. The way I saw life, the way I perceived myself, the way I treated people. And what began to happen, I slowly started from the back all the way to where I am today. And now, it hasn't come easy because the word of God will wreck you before it fixes you. It definitely will. It turns you upside down, right side up, and then turns you upside down again. Amen? Because here's what I know. When we read the word of God, when we come forward with the word of God, it's God speaking. This is not pop psychology. We're not offering you advice from Oprah or Dr. Phil. You can get that later. We're not telling you to line up the stars and look at your horoscope. We're telling you what God says. And it's important for us to be attentive to that and then take it with us and begin to apply it. I guarantee that if you apply a, a little bit of what you listen to on a daily basis, it will change your life. Now, I just scared a bunch of people, didn't I? Because change is scary. And I can't wait for this next series because it's going to provoke us to realize that change is possible for all of us. It truly is. And I want to encourage you to invite your family and your friends to come to the next series because it's, it's vital for us to realize, listen, in this year, if anything you want to do, it's change. Amen. It's change. To stay the same is detrimental to your health. All right? So I want to encourage you. So understand our relationship now, right? I'm going to bring forth the word. It's your responsibility. Not, you know, like some of you are going to discard it. I know that. That's what the Bible tells me. Some of you are just going to put it on the shelf and say, that's not for me. Some of you are going to probably elbow the person next to you and say, are you listening? Are you listening? Right? Some of you are going to write it down and then bring it home and say, hey, mom, they talked about you today. Right? So, you know, you're going to do those kind of things. But what we hear today is for the person sitting in your seat. It's not for anybody else. And if you're that type of person that likes to elbow people and write people's names down and say, I can't wait to tell them about it. No, you're already resisting what we're trying to do here. Amen. Right. Amen. So I want to encourage you. I'm going to be speaking today about the giants in our lives. 
Those things that demoralize us and taunt us and day in and day out, no matter what we try, we may try to, uh, you know, get ourselves uh, um, better every single day, but these giants, every now and then, we put some time together and they come back up and they taunt us and they demoralize us. They point the finger at us and say, you can't do this. It's impossible. You, you tried this already. You have a history already. It's a disease. It's a family disease. You can't get past this. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ is taller, bigger, and stronger than any giant we will face. Amen? Amen. Now, it's a tradition for us uh, when we read God's word to stand. So I want us to stand as we read from Luke. And I want you to listen because this is Jesus' inaugural speech to his ministry. What I mean by that is when he starts his ministry, he walks into the synagogue, which was a habit of his, and he unscrolls the scrolls, he unrolls them, and he reads this. And here's what it says. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18 to 21, in the NIV, it says this. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled. In your hearing. May God bless the hearing and listening of his word. You may be seated. Luke does something fascinating here because he uses Isaiah 61, chapter, chapter 61, verses 1 through 2. And what he does here is he lays out what Jesus has come to do. It says here clearly that he's come to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of the sight for the blind, and set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now Isaiah was talking about this, and it was so profound, and I think it blew everybody away when he said this, was that he was speaking about the prophecy that Isaiah made, and then he said, today it's been fulfilled. I'm here. The guy you've been waiting for is here. The Messiah you've been waiting for is here. So, of course, everybody's probably thinking, who is this guy? Wasn't this the carpenter's son? And, and as you know, in the Bible, it speaks to Jesus to about the age of 12, and then 30, you know, he puts down his tools, gets tapped on the shoulder, and say, okay, let's begin your ministry. And for three and a half years, he goes forth and sets the world ablaze. And in the process, we know what happens. Of course, he wrecks everything. And because of that, anytime that someone goes against what's happening, usually you're going to get pointed out. Someone's going to say, why are you doing this? Why are you messing things up? Everything's been fine. Why are you, you know, playing with, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, leave it alone. So Jesus, when he shows up on the scene, he begins to do this. And what begins to happen is that, of course, at 30, when he dives into ministry, the people are completely amazed at the things that he just said. And of course, immediately there's this opposition. Anytime you intend to do something for God, there's going to be opposition, right? A lot of heads nodding in this place, right? Anytime, I don't know about you, but the minute I said I'm going to church, as I started leaving my friends, 
they started calling me a church boy and, you know, you think you're better than us and that's good for you. You go ahead and do that. You know, meanwhile, you know, I just, I just finished running with you guys. You know, you know who I am. But God has begun to do something in my life, so therefore I don't feel like running with you anymore. You know, I'm going to try this to see if I get a different result. Amen? So it's important for us to realize that because this is good news. It's good news for you. It's good news for me. It's good news for us. It's good news for the world. Because what he came to do was to set prisoners free. To, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. They call that the year of jubilee, the year of freedom. It's where you get this whole tax code of bankruptcy. After seven years, you're forgiven. <laughs> it, it, it's, that's where you get it from. You will say, oh, you're kidding me? Yeah, the year of jubilee is the year of freedom. For a long time, these people were oppressed. These people were kept down by Roman you know, rule, and, and they were just waiting for this Messiah. They were waiting for this prophecy to be fulfilled. So when he shows up looking like he did, everybody was like, who is this guy? Like, really? Like, where are your guns? Where's your knife? Where's your army? Like these guys are really, you know, some bad people. How are you going to manage that? But, but here's what I know. In Acts 4.12, it says this. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. In Philippians 2.9, it says this also. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Colossians 1.16 says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. I want to pause just for a moment. Because if this is true, and I believe it's true, that no matter what circumstance or situation is before you. Jesus Christ is taller, stronger, and bigger than any circumstance, any situation, any giant in your life. Amen? The giant I want to speak about today is this giant of fear. Man, fear. <laughs> and, and fear is a funny thing. Because it's those things that get a foothold in our lives. You know how you leave the door open a little bit, and then they put the foot, and, they, and you can't, like, like, it takes a little bit to get them out. I used to love the, the, the old times. Anybody as old as I am? Remember they used to have these police locks on the door? Right? Anybody? Come on, a few people. Help me out here. Don't, don't leave me out here by myself. <laughs> All the young people are looking at me like, Police lots. Yeah, they, they, there was a little hole in the ground. There was a bar, and there was this thing, and you slid it, and the door could only open but so far. Amen? Come on, somebody help me out. All right. Right? Because then even if you got a foot, that's as far as you were going to get. You weren't going to get anymore. But there are things in our lives that once they get a foothold in our lives, they get entrenched in our lives, we begin to sometimes we accommodate them. We become to get comfortable with them. Sometimes it gets to a point where we begin to feel like it's part and parcel of the landscape of our lives. We kind of accept it. Sometimes we even dress it up. You know, it's like a sofa with a lot of holes in it. It's all torn, right? Right? You ladies get real creative. You throw a quilt over it. Right? You put a couple of pillows on it, right? 
right? You don't, you don't want nobody to see it. it's all torn up. But it's the same way with some of the giants in our lives. They come to demoralize us, to taunt us, to point fingers at us and tell us that you can't do this. And one of the giants, and I can't cover it too much today, is the giant of addiction. The giant of addiction is, is constantly taunting us. And here we come in House of Worship Broken, we know a little bit about addiction. But the minute I mention addiction, a lot of you goes to the big two, right? right? Those things that take you to detox and rehab and stuff like that. But a lot of us are addicted and not necessarily to drugs in here. You know, and, and, and one of the things that we're addicted to is this whole idea of acceptance. Like, like we all feel like, you know, man, I, I got to be in with this crowd. It's, you know, for young people, you call that peer pressure. You know, you want to be down, so you start acting funny. You didn't learn this at home, but now you're doing it at school, and you're doing it in the street, and your parents are like, where did you learn this from? It wasn't from me, kind of stuff. So being accepted is, is a, it's an addiction because you'd go to great lengths to try to be accepted. And it's an addiction, the way you dress, the things you wear. I have some kids in my high school that didn't come to school for a week because their parents did not buy them the new Jordans. Like they missed a whole week of school and I'm saying, why did you come? I didn't have no sneakers. I said, well, the sneakers you had last week, but nice. No, I wanted the new ones. And they hold their parents hostage because they want to be accepted so much and the parents have to buy them these sneakers so they can go. And let me tell you something, the social media has figured it out that we are so void of this acceptance. Facebook and Instagram has figured it out. And I'll tell you how. Some of you take a picture, not me because I'm not on Facebook, I'm not on Instagram. I'm not saying I'm a bad guy, good guy, that's what I'm saying. I'm simply saying that they figured it out because here's what you do. You take a picture. Don't you, right? And you don't take the ugly picture. You take the good picture. The very good picture. And I know this poses are all the same. You know, like, 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 like that's, that, those are the base, listen, next time you look, just go ahead. And you post your best picture and you do whatever you do to, you know, fix it up and because they have all these little programs, and right? And then you post it. And then what do you do? You wait for somebody to click that they like it. It's an addiction. Imagine if no one clicked they liked it. Your response would be, hey, by the way, did you notice the picture I posted? Because I liked your picture. I told you how much I liked your picture. Didn't you know I liked your picture? I, I said like three times. Oh, how come you don't like my... I'm waiting for that. There's an addiction to acceptance. And let me tell you something. You need to learn how to play to an audience of one. Your acceptance, your validation is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And what begins to happen is that when we look to get validated and accepted by others, and, and it, begins to, it begins to mess around with your head. I would like you to post a picture one day when you look ratchet. <laughs> like really, just post your most ugliest picture. See how many likes you get then, <laughs> right? But praise God, I want to talk to you about this giant of fear. And fear is a big part of the story of God. It is because it's the one that I believe when you look at the Bible, he gives the most commands to. He says, do not fear, take courage, take heart, do not be afraid. He's constantly saying this because there's something about fear that paralyzes us. There's something about fear that causes us to pause, and sometimes too long. 
we, we kind of get paralyzed. In fact, paralysis is something that fear does to people. And, and I, I wanted to talk about this giant because it's so vital for us to understand that in this year, this giant must fall. And it must fall because Jesus Christ is taller, stronger, and bigger than any giant you and I will face. And I'm excited about this year. I really am because, but here's what I got to warn you, because a lot of us get excited about things. I, anybody that God is going to use greatly, he's going to wound deeply. I'll say that again. Anybody that God is going to use greatly, he's going to wound deeply. And if you think last year hurt you, this year you might be hurt again. But in the pain of last year's hurt, there's something that got me through it. J-E-S-U-S. J-E-S-U-S. Jesus. You see, some of these giants in our lives, a two-minute devotional is not going to be long enough to get them out of our lives. Wow. <laughs> two-minute devotional is not going to be enough. Uh, you know, uh, reading the Bible from cover to cover may not be enough. And it's important for us to realize that these giants must fall. Because Jesus Christ was not born of a virgin, suffered, was crucified, descended to the grave, rose on the third day, and sits at the right hand of the Father so that some giant can taunt you and diminish the glory of God. See, it's not enough that they come to demoralize you and to taunt you but they come to diminish the glory of God. They come to tell you that your God can't help you with this. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. The intrinsic glory of God cannot be diminished. Our perspective about the circumstances, situations, and giants in our lives will allow us to succumb to these giants. And it's so important for us to realize, look, John, Chapter 10, verse 10, it says this, and this is a scripture that a lot of people know. This is a living Bible, and it says this. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. I'll say that again. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. Jesus Christ did not come to give you a partial life. He did not come to, you know, fill your cup halfway. He came to give you this fullness of life. And as we go forward, you have to understand that fear undermines the presence and power of God. Now, like I said, a two-minute devotional is not going to get you past this giant. Maybe that's what you're doing right now, and that's good for a beginning. But I got to let you know that some things that get their foothold in your life that you've accommodated, that you got really comfortable with, are not going to leave your life just like that. Just because you say in the name of Jesus don't mean they're going to walk away. Because there are root causes. We call it around here the exact nature of why you do what you do. And there are three root causes that I want to touch on today. And hopefully as we dig deep and begin to go into those root causes, you'll be able to address your fears. And begin to realize that in Christ you can overcome. The giants must fall this year. 
And, and I'm not saying just Paul. You're going to see later on in the story that we use to kind of give you the backstory to this. But there are three areas that are the root causes and probably many more. But these are the three areas that kind of stuck with me as I was studying this. And the first one is conditioning. Gosh, all you got to do is turn on the local news. I mean, all they talk about is how bad it is out there. So what do you do, right? You get cameras, you get double locks, triple locks, you get alarms on your car, you know, you get pepper spray, you know, come on now, somebody, right? We get all these things because it wants us to be fearful. Conditioning is something, maybe you grew up in a home where fear was a big deal. So now you're conditioned. There was a commercial years ago, and they're starting to run again. Anybody remember? Maybe you can finish it for me. It's 10 o'clock. Do you know where you're? Right? You go to the room. Where are my kids? Okay, it's 10 o'clock. That kind of stuff. You, you, it, it be... And Hollywood has made it even greater. Fear is something they pride themselves on. Getting people to be afraid, right? The scary movies that some of you are still watching, right? It's important. Fear is, is something that once it gets in, listen, it'll keep you from going back to school. A fear of getting hurt because of a previous relationship will not allow you to see that this is the one God is sending your way. Because you're so fearful of getting hurt again and putting yourself out there that you're not going to do that again. That was just too painful. Well, let me tell you something. Love hurts. Love hurts. And if you don't know that, then you haven't loved. Because I remember, I remember the first girl I first fell in love with. I must have been 10 years old. Right? We used to share lunch together, you know? And she got up from my table and went to somebody else's table. And I was like devastated. Right? I know, you guys are laughing. 10 years old, you don't know nothing about love, right? Help me out here, Steve, right? So conditioning is a big deal. We, we grow up, you know, in this climate, in this society, which causes us to fear. It's the very reason you won't go back to school, you won't get in a relationship. Some, some of you haven't even learned to drive yet, and you're 50 years old, because you're afraid to get behind a wheel. I mean, it's, it's the society that we live in is constantly talking about fear. The other thing is concealment. See, you don't want nobody looking under the hood of your car. Come on now. You don't want nobody knowing your secrets, your story, and you're fearful that if people find out a little bit about you, then they're not going to like you too much. But, but it's so important for you to realize, and this is why we're trying to encourage you this year to join these life groups, these community groups, so we can grow together and live together and laugh together and cry together and just do life together in general. See, it's important for us to realize that isolation is the trick of the enemy to get you all by yourself so that he could beat you down and tell you you don't need those people. I always say this, and I say this over and over again. I say this to the men every Thursday, and I'll say it to you right now, and I'll be completely open. You do more for me than I do for you. I look forward to seeing you on Sunday. There is a hug that I receive. There is a word of encouragement. There is a pat on the back. There is just a comment that is made that allows me to just get elevated. And no matter how bad I feel when I walk into this place, I know that there's someone that's gonna make me feel good. And it may not be the same person all the time. It may be a little child who just comes up to me and hugs me out of nowhere. And by the way, the children and the old people love me the most in this place. <laughs> all right? People in between, I don't know what's going on with them. <laughs> 
The third one is this whole idea of control. You know people who want to control everything. Not you, not you, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about you know people. That want to control everything. Everything they want to control. How you stand, how you sit, how you move, how you talk, how you do this, how you do that. Those people are afraid. They're afraid that if they don't have control, that their lives will fall apart. And you constantly see them. And we have words for them, psychological words that are not words you want to use, you know, compulsive, OCD, whatever you want to call it. There are other words that people, you know, use to refer to someone who's always moving the furniture, always putting this here, always dusting this, always doing that, right? They, they just want to control everything. You say, no, that's just a clean freak. No, it's not. I just sat in the chair. Why did you move it? You know, just, you know, they want to control everything. And, and it's so important. There's fear in these people's lives. And listen, that giant must fall in this year because God did not give us a spirit of fear. He gave us a spirit of power and a sound mind. That's what the word tells me. So whenever I speak to fear, I got to identify its root cause and begin to address why it is that I am so fearful of venturing out. Some of you are fearful about commitment. I mean, just the fact that we're asking you to show up early and leave late, to join a life group, to show up to a Bible study, it's like, oh man, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know, I mean, I'm so busy, you know, I got 30 minutes of Facebook every day, I got at least 30 minutes. <laughs> You know, you're going to cut into that time, you know. Some of you is your novelas. <laughs> Spanish people all said amen. Right? Novelas are soap operas for you guys. I didn't, all right? So, you know, all your favorite shows, especially now all the seasons are coming back, right? Everything's coming back. The summer's over. Everybody's saying, yeah, all right. Right? Listen, you chased whatever you chased to make you feel good before you with such a zeal that I am still boggled at your testimonies when you sit down with me. And all we're asking you this year, in order for you to change, is that you pursue Jesus with that zeal and allow it to do what it's going to do in your life. It's so vital, amen, for us to realize that because if not, here's what happens with fear. When fear shows up, he shows up with some relatives. He does. He shows up with anxiety, worry, stress, and terror. Right? I mean, you see it on TV today with this whole, you know, Middle East thing, you know, it's terror. Right? Right? Terrorizing, right? You get this stress, this anxiety, this worry. The Bible speaks about being anxious for nothing, not to worry about what you're going to eat today. Or, you know, it just goes on and on to remind us of these things. And I got to tell you something, that in our society, there are more prescriptions made out for these ailments than anything else. You got anxiety? Pop a pill. You worry, pop a pill. Stress, pop a couple of pills. You're terror, stay home and pop a lot of pills. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, 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 am I, am I, I'm just being honest, right? And, and, and the scary part about this whole stuff is, is that God reminds us in his word that we don't have to be anxious or anything. But in prayer and supplication, we bring all things to the ones who cares for us. And then he uses an analogy in the Bible. If he cares for the sparrow and the animal, how much more would he care for you who's created in his image? 
But we lose sight of that. That's why I come that faith comes by hearing the hearing the word of God. It's important for you to hear what God is saying and hold on to that, even when that giant shows up in your life and begins to taunt you and demoralize you and tells you you can't do it. Me and you got a history together. You're not gonna let get rid of me that easy. But it's so important for us to realize that. It's vital for us to do that because this whole thing of, of, of anxiety and stress and, and worry, listen, I don't know about to do, but tomorrow's got its own problems, right? Like, I got to deal with today. Like, some people are probably sitting here and thinking, man, I got to go back to work tomorrow. For me, as a teacher, I got to go back to work tomorrow. And I know the kids are going to be off the, off the chain. They're just going to be crazy. Why? Because they've been out of school for 10 days. So as soon as they walk in, I'm not going to be able to teach anything. I'm going to close the door and say, stay in the room. Just don't leave the room. That's it, right? Because they're going to be absolutely off the chain. So I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm going to enjoy today. I'm going to enjoy the company of my friends and my family right now at this moment. I'm going to worship. I'm going to praise God. I'm probably going to go out and get something to eat. I'm probably going to watch a little football later. But the truth of the matter is, I'm not worried about tomorrow. Tomorrow show up, I'll face that challenge tomorrow. Amen? Amen. Praise God. So I want to give you the backstory to this whole giant piece. And a lot of us have heard David and Goliath's story for a long time, right? Everybody here, David and Goliath, if you come to Sunday school, if you've grown up in church, if you haven't grown in church, everybody knows the story about David and Goliath, right? Giant, little boy, right? So it's important for us to get a picture of that story as I read the text to you so you begin to understand why it's so important for you to realize what this story is about. This story is not just about a giant and a little boy. This story is about Jesus Christ and the power of salvation that's available to us. Amen? Because you've got to understand as this story unfolds, and I'm going to explain it a little bit, but here's how it goes in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It's in the back of your um, um, sermon map that's available to you. And it reads like this. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sukkah in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes-Damim between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. Look up for a moment. This is what was happening. There was this valley that separated these two camps, and every morning, every day, they would come up and they would line up, ready to do battle. Philistines on one side and the Israelites on the other side. They would come. And they would stand there ready to do battle. Every day they would do that. And then it says in verse 4, A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span, that's nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. In other words, he didn't even carry his own shield. Somebody carried it for him into battle. Now, that's a formidable giant. All right, I mean, that's somebody that, you know, obviously, right? And look what happened. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to meet me. He did this 40 days and 40 nights. Now I think about it for a moment. 
Because I'm thinking I'm in the Israel camp, right? And I'm sitting down, right? And I'm saying, yo, tomorrow we're going to beat that guy up, man. At Greeley, we're going to go all out tomorrow. We're going to do this. Everybody ready? Everybody going to do it? They march out, and the giant will come out. And he would stand there, and he would taunt and demoralize. And everybody would go. <clears throat> and they'll go again, and they'll say, hey, tomorrow, yo, we're going to get this guy, man. I'm tired of this guy talking. You know, his, his, his mouth is just reckless, man. I'm just done with him. Tomorrow we're going to do it, right? You're down. And they'll get up again, and they'll march, and Goliath will come out again. Do this. 40 days and 40 nights. It goes on to say, verse 9, he says, if he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. I got a problem with this. I got a problem with this because the army of Israel already had had some victories. They already had experienced the power of God against some formidable enemies. And what gets me about this story is that David is sent by his father to bring supplies up to the battle lines where his older brothers were already in battle. And he brings up supply. Like, like now, now if you're in the military, they got these base camps and they bring all the supplies. But he was bringing up his supplies and he brings them to the tent that's empty because the guys were out there and they were already at the battle lines. So he runs up there because as a young boy, you know, like I remember playing my G.I. Joes. Everybody wants to be in the military. So he runs up there. And he stands there and he watches the army of Israel just stand there. And he sees Goliath come out and taunt and demoralize and diminish the glory of God to this army. And I could have imagined that David was like, what's up? Like, what's going on here? This guy justified our God. What are you going to do about it? And everybody's like, looking at each other. This giant of fear just shows up. And everybody's, man, did you just hear him? Man, I may get killed out there. I, I, may, I, may, I may die. <laughs> Who's going to take care of my family? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? And David says, wait a minute, I'll fight him. I, I'll fight him. Now, you got to understand something about David that a lot of people don't understand. Not only was he a shepherd boy, but he experienced God. He had intimacy with God. Not a two-minute devotional. He sat, he sat as he took care of his sheep, and he strummed his harp, and he penned the most beautiful psalms that anybody could imagine. One of them is, God, who am I that you are so mindful of me? Who am I that you think so much about me? And he experienced the majesty and the awesomeness of God in the stars and in the heavens. And then he goes on to say, okay, you know, um, um, I'll fight him. You guys ain't down. You scared. You, you know, I'll do it. And, everybody, you know, somebody heard this and said, take him back to Saul. And by the way, if anybody should have fought the giant, it should have been Saul because Saul was a foot above everybody else. Right. 
So if the giant is nine, he's about seven, and that, that's good fighting range there, you know what I mean? So, but, but he was, he was, he was scared. This giant of fear, right, compromised everything he was trying to do. So he brings him to Saul, and Saul says, how are you going to fight him? You're just a boy. And look what he tells him. He tells him, man, your servant, while I was tending sheep, a lion came, I gave him a beat down. <laughs> I chased that lion. That lion ain't coming back no more. And by the way, it was a bear that showed up too. And I got to tell you something, that bear ain't coming around no more. And he wants out to tell this story. And Saul, Saul has a way out now, right? No longer is he looking like, you know, petrified Saul. He said, okay, you go ahead. Go fight him. Go for it. <laughs> right? You go fight him. But take this stuff with you. Now, pause for a moment. Because it's so vital for you to understand that this giant in your life is not going to be fought by what you do. But what has already been done for you. Jesus Christ is already, already has the victory for you. He's beaten that giant. So there's no reason for you to think. And I'm telling you this because I don't know about you, but there are some things that have a foothold in my life that no matter how much I've prayed, they still come around and say, man, you can't do this. I don't know what you're trying to do. This is, this is too big. This is too much. You know, I'm a type of person that has a five-year plan. Every fifth year, I do that. And my five-year plan this year is crazy. It's off the charts. Either God's going to do it or I'm going to die trying. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, God, and, and, and the enemy is constantly telling me, hey, but you, know, you forgot last year, didn't you? You forgot the three days you spent in the hospital. You forgot the two days they told you about this. You forgot the work that, you know, like all this stuff. He starts throwing it my way. You forgot the trouble you're having. And, you know, and, and it's like, yeah, but Jesus is taller. Bigger, stronger than any giant we will face. And David did not go alone. David did not go into battle alone. The mistake that you can make is that you're David facing Goliath. David did not go into battle alone. He was not taking on Goliath because he wanted some points with his brothers or Saul or anybody else or even the reward they were offering. By the way, they were offering a wife. Okay, I don't know what he was getting into, but they were offering a wife. Okay? All right, Saul said, you know, I got a wife for you. I got, you know, I'll look out for you, kid. If you come back, I'll look out for you. It wasn't about that. He realized that this giant had defied. He was defiling. He was talking about his God. Man, and some of us have to begin to realize that those who speak against our God are speaking blasphemy. And I can't participate in that kind of conversation. I can't even watch anything that uses God in a way that belittles or diminishes the glory of God. David didn't come alone. He came because he had an intimacy with God. He experienced God. He didn't beat up the line on his own strength. God. He didn't beat up that bear on his own strength. God. You see, some of you 
If you're anything like me, I've tried to defeat the giants in my life, my own strength, my own intellect, my own ability, what I have and don't have. And I've learned the lesson that it's in Christ, through Christ, that for the glory of God, these giants in our lives must fall. Some of us still have this giant of anger. We go from zero to 60 at a drop of a dime. Some of you are like, whoa, you got your neck around somebody, you know, a hand around somebody's neck and, hey, you know, over a cup of coffee, uh, you know, and I'm like, that giant must fall. The giant of addiction, it must fall. The giant of fear must fall. Must fall. Because Jesus Christ is taller, Stronger, bigger than any giant you and I will ever face. And David knew this because he had an intimacy with the God who created the heavens and the earth and gave him the victory. And sometimes our inclination is to allow ourselves to come to a place and try to put on somebody else's armor and go into battle and use somebody else's sword or somebody else's shield and it just doesn't work out that way. David went into battle, but he didn't go in alone. In fact, the Bible talks about he goes before me. No matter where I go, the Lord has already gone before me. It's so important that you begin, because what happened here is Goliath came out. They heard the threats being spewed, the insults. And because they heard, it did something to them. I want you to begin to hear the word of God and allow it to do to you what it's meant to do. It's not to make you brave, but it's to give you the courage you need because you know you're not alone. Uh, David had this intimacy that he experienced, and I want to encourage you in this year. One of the themes of this year is this whole idea of going deeper. To, to going deeper, to, to not be surface dwellers, but to go deeper and find out why. Why I'm doing the things I'm doing. And being able to realize, listen, if God is for me, who can be against me? And it's so vital because, guys, I, listen, we're here just like that Israel army comes out, right? We have our battle cry. We sing the songs. We listen to the sermons. And then we go out there and we're good for two weeks, three weeks, a month, two months. And then that giant comes up again. And he points a finger at you. And, 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 and there are three things that he mentioned. One was, you're just a boy. Right? How many of you have heard you're too young to do this? For some of us, it's like me. You're too old to do this. Right? You know, it's just too much for you. And you have a history. In fact, it is a disease. It's a generational disease. But, but here's what I know, guys. There was this generational disease that I inherited. It was called alcoholism. Until Christ came into my life. And just like that generational curse chased five generations from my great-grandfather all the way to me, when I came to Christ, that generational curse was broken. Because now it's not something that I'm passing on to my children. And it's so important that because Christ is with you and with me, we can face these giants this year. They don't have to taunt us, demoralize us, or diminish the glory of God anymore. Today, 
these giants must fall. This year, these giants must fall. And it's going to take you actively realizing that intimacy with God puts this hedge around you that the enemy has to ask permission to touch you. <laughs> Come on now, somebody lost that. Somebody lost, you lost that translation. You'll get it later. When you are in Christ, the enemy has to ask permission to come at you. And if God allows it, you're going to be able to bear it. You're going to be able to bear it. You know why? Because he's going to do something. He's going to, you know, he's going to straighten out your crooked leg and your crooked neck and your crooked attitude. That is vital. There's something I want you to do in the next 40 days. Whenever that giant of fear begins to come up, I want you to use your phone. All right? Because they use your phone. Not to check Facebook, Instagram, not that. I want everybody to download the YouVersion Bible. The YouVersion Bible. I want you to download it. And the reason I want you to download it is because every time, every morning, every night, let me tell you something. Worship is going to cast away these worries. Worship is going to get rid of this fear. And there's something about this particular version, and I want to bring it up. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Did you hear that? Yes. When that giant of fear shows up, I want you to play this. I want you to tell me again. Tell me again, David. Tell me again how you overcame the giant. Play it in the morning. Some of you may have to play it in the middle of the day. Some of you may have to play it at night. But for 40 days, listen to me, that 40 days is significant because it's a day of salvation. It's, salvation has come today. It's come for us in this form of this gospel going forth and telling us, listen, you don't have to fear anymore. This giant of fear must go down. So for the next 40 days, the takeaway for you is please download this app. It's for free. You don't got to pay anything. And this guy, by the way, although he sounds English, he's American. And I go to sleep to this guy. And it's amazing how he brings forth the word. And it's just, I'm telling you, listen to it. Walk through the darkest valley. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Tell me again. Every time, just click it. Tell me again. Tell me again, God. Tell me again that this giant of fear doesn't have to rule and reign in my life anymore. Tell me again. And if you're anything like me, I need to hear it three or four times. It's like antibiotic. I got to take it four times a day. I, got, I need to be reminded. I need to hear what God said.